Hanishima, the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. Our guest on today's podcast is Rav Daniel Kohn. Rav Daniel is the rabbi of the community of Batayin in Israel, an incredible musician, a deep spiritual guide, and sensitive counselor to individuals and groups, as well as a beloved teacher of transformative Torah. I myself, as a student in Yeshivat Bat Ayin, some of the most important and foundational years of my life, I merited to see the true power of his teaching, the way that he taught Torah. Rav Daniel communicates this idea of the Torah being a timeless, powerful text that if listened deeply to, if engaged with mindfulness and with care, has the ability to truly bring us in contact with the divine. Our interview finishes with two incredible meditations. One, a short, musically guided meditation, and one, a longer meditation that focuses on the ancient practice of shihiya, of waiting, of pausing. This is a powerful interview. And I was very, very grateful to have the time with Rav Daniel to sit down and hear his journey and hear what makes him who he is. And I'm very, very happy that I can share it with each and every one of you. I hope you enjoy. Rav Daniel, it is a pleasure and an honor to be able to welcome you onto the Voice of Breath podcast to sit down with you and and hear a little bit from you. And so I just, I'm so grateful for you to give us some of your time. Thank you so much. It's a joy to hear your voice again, uh, Mm. Rav Noam, and to call you Rav Noam. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I mean, you know, you played such an essential role in in my role, in my in my development, and in my uh, movement towards being a rav, whatever that means, I'm still trying to figure out what that means. But <laughs> my my experiences learning with you in Yeshivat Batayin were so formative. And I'll just tell a very brief story. When I came to visit Yeshivat Batayin, I remember it was a very cold and foggy day, as you have a lot of those in the hills of of Yehuda, and I remember I came in, it was my first day, and there was a shear. You were giving a, a Parsha shear, and I still remember what it was about in, in broad terms. It was about Yaakov and Dina. And I remember just sitting there and, and hearing you speak and hearing you talk and hearing you teach in a, in a way that I hadn't really seen before. And it just like when I heard that, I said, I've got to come learn here. <laughs> it was it was almost immediate, and I knew that I needed to come learn and, and learn with you. And and I got so much from from the opportunities of, to, of learning with you over those those couple of years. And so, I, you know, what what a pleasure to be able to welcome you here to be able to to share your wisdom with a, a wider audience and with my community here in Melbourne. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Beautiful to hear. I didn't know that story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so when I was, you know, even though I did get the opportunity to learn from you and, and learn so much, I I'm, I'm curious about your, your beginnings and how you came, I should say to Torah Judaism and, and, you know, this is a meditation podcast and, and also, you know, what, what brought you towards the world of, of Pnimiut, HaTorah, the inner depth of the Torah. So where'd you start out? Where'd you come from? And what was your journey like? <laughs> I guess you're talking about this uh, incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can, okay. we can start here. We'll see how much time we'll we have. There. <laughs> okay, anyhow, so I came, uh, I came from a long history from Abraham. Um, down through the generations, all of us together, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, I, it's, it's important to me to, to reconnect back. I was kidding about the reincarnation and, and yes, connecting like to, to a deep history and a deep personal history. And, um, and I really experienced things that way, you know, like I lurk, I look to Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov and I look to all these uh, shepherds of the people as my, uh, as my guides um and um and as my parents so that's that's just important for me to to um acknowledge and um open open us up to all of us so we all have that common ancestry um if it's not to Abraham then it's back to Adam and Chava and Eve um so, but being more specific so um, I actually had the uh, unusual merit of being born into a family that c cared about their Jewish uh, practice. Uh, both my parents uh, made made real choices to to uh, to marry a uh, a uh, partner who who cared about Torah and was observant in the way that they understood observance to be, which was basically. Kashrut, keeping kosher and Shabbos on some level or another. They didn't know much more in terms of practices, but um, but my family was really, really like uh, deep with that. Um, I had I had um, a wonderful uh, few summers at at Camp Ramah um, in various places in the states, um, which was really uh, really helpful for me. Um, because uh, especially where, although we started in Great Neck in Long Island, where there were a lot of um, other Jews, you know, interested in Judaism, my parents took me out of uh, yeshiva. Um, they were, they really kind of felt like it was a, uh, not really educating me uh, to be heartfelt about what I do, to be honest. That was, I remember my mother saying, I think those boys just shuckle, but they're not really davening. And she had that insight and sent me to public school <laughs> because of that. Um, and, it's as uh, if that's amazing I mean, to say that, you know, being in a yeshiva is more dangerous spiritually <laughs> than to be in public school. Amazing. <laughs> so I don't want to make any rules about that, but um, uh, but it's definitely something to be attentive to because in a way what that forced me into was uh, discovering my identity from within. And that served me really powerfully because we moved out of Great Nick to a place in Florida, Pompano Beach, where there was practically no Jewish interest at all. I mean, even the rabbi was didn't keep Shabbos and 
actually kind of resented us for being so antiquated. <laughs> and, um, and um, it, it, you know, if it, if it wasn't for that kind of like an uh, inner guide, I, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know what would have happened. In the end, all, all my siblings, I have three other siblings, we all stayed from, came to Israel. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think it had to do with my parents kind of like sort of inner compass, uh, which, which they gave over to us again, you know, if you meet my parents, you wouldn't get the sense of them as being like spiritual people, but you would get the sense of them being clear people. And I think that was really, um, that was meaning, meaningful for all of us and, 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 um, pulling ahead. Yeah. So, so like I said, but I had that, you know, kind of additional zest from Camp Ramah. I don't know what it's like these days, but back then it was really a, um, a hotbed of, of, of Jewish spiritual creativity. It was, and um, I, I was in love with the Talmud and had a counselor who had gone to yeshiva and could teach me Talmud. And he became so like uh, into my growth, he said, "Like you really, you really need to meet the Lubavitcher Rebbe somehow." <laughs> so he set me up to spend a Shabbos in Crown Heights, and um, and I tell that story because because that was like my first exposure to that kind of um, of of teaching that was a, a more uh, pnimi teaching, a more in, in inward bound teaching on the one hand and spiritually oriented of of Hasidut. And on the other hand, I just remember in the story, the guy serving in the morning, Shabbos morning, the guy serving me a seven-story chocolate cake. <laughs> I really didn't know how to make those things meet. <laughs> but I actually refused <laughs> the portion. Anyhow, so, um, but at the Fabrengen, we went to uh, Lubavitcher Fabrengen where the Rebbe was there. And there was a look that he gave me during the course of the Fabrengen that really, I can honestly say, transported me. And I really feel like, um, in, a, in a real way, uh, opened up a, a, a gateway in me, which later became, um, you know, uh, which later became, you know, I can't like associate my entire life mission with that, but it definitely, definitely uh, created an access. I think I just, that's just my experience and memory of that. Um, this Chabadnik who I stayed with, of course, gave me a Tanya. And actually that became significant to me. You know, if you talk about like the beginnings of my involvement with, with meditation and um, that aspect of spirituality. So I actually read the Tanya back in Pompano Beach, Florida. <laughs> and um, and I just remember like hitting hitting statements like uh, there was none other than he or um, the world is filled with his presence. Um, and uh, these kind of um, guided meditations in the Tanya of moving beyond into the transcendent contact. Um, and I just remember like, you know, repeating the words and sitting with that. And that actually later became something, you know, back in the day in the Barayin Yeshiva, you know, I mean, you know, when I was teaching the Tanya, I, I remember telling the guys, you know, like the most important words, you know, in the Tanya are when he says, et cetera, where he'll start something and say, and, um, you know, note 
or know that God is beyond beyond the, this world, beyond the ground, beyond the earth, beyond the heavens, beyond the etc. And that etc. is meant to, I believe, inculcate in the reader a personally generated meditation as opposed to just continuing to read, which I think would stand in contradiction to what it was that he was seeking to elicit. But that started back then. Mom is like, wow. you know, I was probably 15 years old or so. And wow. um, yeah. It's hmm. amazing. And to have that, that kind of, as you said, that inner guide at that age is is very rare. Uh, maybe it's not so rare, but I think it's, un, un, you know, not everyone's given the opportunity to then pursue that. And especially right, today, or, or, you know. or need to pursue it. <laughs> yeah. I think well, that, the need that, that, that was really important. I'm not saying that it guided me in everything I did. There was mm. plenty I did that was not guided by that inner guide. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. But um, but it was there and it was growing and um, yeah I'm very grateful for for actually those kind of um, in sort of contra situation where it's like in living in contrast yeah um, which is actually something that I I think I continue to work with to this day um, sometimes many times to my advantage and to people's advantage sometimes perhaps not. I, I'm a bit of a lone voice sometimes I feel. And, you know, perhaps that also is reflecting that inner guide and voice that uh, actually can thrive sometimes in be being in contrast. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, Rav Noam, are uh, able to relate to that. Um, and it's something to, to watch and be conscious of, like, when is this an inner guide? And when am I sort of being in contrast? But um, nevertheless, yeah, it definitely became a resource for me. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. And so, you know, you're a 15-year-old learning the Tanya, which is, of course, the, the magnum opus of the Lubavitcher, of the, the, the Alta Rebbe of Lubavitch, the first Rebbe of the, the Chabad dynasty. And did it bring you, when did you get to Israel? When did you get to Yeshivot? I mean, how did that, you went to, you went to university in, in America? Yeah, yeah. I finished high school early, thank God. I was in an experimental high school, which was the only one I could actually function in, where you just go at your own pace. And um, I kind of finished everything in the middle of 11th grade, uh, which in America is a year and a half before graduating. So I actually went to Israel to be on a kibbutz for half a year, which really solidified my Hebrew. And I'd always been like connected and loving Hebrew, but that really solidified it. Um, and then I came back and I went to Columbia University in, in New York, where I studied um, philosophy and comparative religions. I think, thinking back on it, you know, even though I like kind of understood it then as like an exploration of spirituality in general, but I think it also was just a way to have an opportunity to continue learning Torah, you know. <laughs> Um, that's, that's why I became a rabbi. <laughs> they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me stay learning Torah unless I was going to get some parnasa out of it. You know. <laughs> you know, there's a joke about the the rabbi who gets a job and you know, like impresses all the congregants and the and the committee and the whole thing, and then then uh, you know he he moves in and he sets himself up and and the the people in the congregation notice that like the lights always on in his office late at night. I mean, why doesn't he go home after 
office hours. What's going on? So one one night they get up the courage to go and they knock on the door and they knock on the door and they open the door and they see there's books open on his table. They said, what is going on? And he says, this is when I learn. He said, learn? We hired you because you know, not because you learn. <laughs> Oy, yes. <laughs> We're not paying you to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyhow, so yeah, so like um I I, I went back to Columbia and I was studying and I was studying actually under some people who, you know, were not so nice, to be honest, not so nice and and or supportive of, of my own spiritual search because there were some who were, but like uh, when the person, you know, the, some of them were really just like, as one of them said to me, like, this is my, my pet project is knocking the keep off people's head. You know, it's like trying to undermine their faith. At that point I was wearing a kippah in it at college. Um, and uh, he definitely succeeded in mixing me up. And I got, I was, by the time I graduated, I was quite confused I was more knowledgeable, but quite confused. And I decided that I really need to spend uh, at least a year in Israel kind of like or regaining or participating in a kind of a renaissance of Jewish uh, access or just forgetting about it or somehow, although I don't think that was ever a real possibility for me. So I, 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 came, I came to Israel. I met um, Rabbi Chaim Bravender, who really deserves a lot of credit and merit for basically saying to me, listen, we're not going to try to make you into anything. We're just going to give you a stender, you know, like a learning lectern and books and go with it. And I arrived at the yeshiva without a yarmulke, without a kippah, and um, just really began to flourish in, in that context. And together with that, began again to really explore, which had kind of been left by the wayside, my meditative practice and and that access that um, you know that 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 had kind of been lost to me, I think, in the confusion of um, of the time at uh, university. And um, yeah, I was there, and then I spent a year. I was there for two years, and then I was uh, spent a year alone in an apartment, or really kind of an attic, in the Bukharim neighborhood in Jerusalem, and um, was able to hear Kabbalah from from the teachers there, and made good friends with with uh, old friends of mine who one of whom was actually very profoundly connected with uh, meditation and um um in time i went first i went to merkaza rav cook today's actually we're recording this on his your site um uh, the, the universal yeshiva of rabbi cook uh where i did not find what i was looking for but i did get a lot and then I uh, went to uh, a different yeshiva under Rav Yisrael Gustman, one of the remnants of of Lamdish, uh, the learning capital in Europe of Vilna. Uh, and um, and uh, there, actually combined with like very rigorous Talmudic learning, I continued actually to learn Tanya. I got involved in teaching in David Aaron's Israelite and in other places program that used to exist. I don't think it still does. And and began, to, I think, to grow by virtue also of the dialogue with spiritual seekers in beginners programs that I've got hooked up with. 
And together with my Chavruta practicing and experimenting with different exper meditative practices, um, something began to grow and develop in me. I also worked for a few months in a program in Sfat called Livnotul Hibanot, and there also began to um, actually, I guess, being, be trained by my students and being able to deliver um, spiritual messages which had a universal um, appeal to them, but were Jewishly grounded. I think that's where I started developing a language that I think um, we all need to learn to speak to, to make um, this wisdom and enlightenment available more broadly. And um, yeah, so that's like background, you know, and then then I got married, Baruch Hashem, and my wife pushed us out of where we were living, which is Harnof. Um, uh, really kind of led by my wife to participate in in, in uh, coming out to an empty hilltop in Bad Ayan, which wasn't then Bad Ayan, it was just an empty hilltop. And I became the rabbi of the community over time and founded the yeshiva that you were in together with my my dear friend, or really he founded it together with me. Um, and there also began to develop uh, ways to expose people to meditative practices. That was over the course of 10 years. You were part of that chabura. Yeah. And since then I've been actually you know, doing quite a few, quite a, a few different things in, in Israel, primarily uh, meditation retreats. I have one coming up in 10 days. It will be a five day retreat for meditation. In addition, I have year-long programs um, with groups. And besides that, also do a lot of work with um, uh, uh, group groups of, of men uh, and sometimes also of women that are seeking uh, personal growth, not necessarily spiritually um, generated, and seek the meeting place between uh, personal development and um, meditative and more soulful wow. divine work. Amazing, so, amazing. And yeah, we will, but, I mean, we'll put in the, I'll put in the liner notes below ways that people can can reach out to you. Obviously, those who are in, in Israel can physically go to the retreats, and I cannot recommend them more. Uh, and people not in Israel, you know, there are other resources, which we'll, I'm sure, get to later on that, that you know, will allow people to access your I'd love that, yeah. And your yeah. Teaching. Amazing, yeah, we've got that's stuff really, online. Yeah, I mean, this, that's really what it's about, is, is bringing this wisdom to people uh, and and making it accessible, because there's a thirst. There is a thirst in the world, but I think there's also many barriers, unfortunately. And I'm happy that you can run retreats in person. We, uh, as we record this, we're locked down completely in Melbourne. Um, we have no shul. We don't know what's going to be happening with Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's challenging. Uh, and we have a fraction of the cases <laughs> that Israel does, but that's a different story. Uh, you know, so there's oh. a lot of a lot of challenges in the world right now, and so I think mm -hmm. that we need to be building the kelim, building the vessels, and giving people access to to the powerful light that's within within the Torah and our tradition. And I want to just pick up on something that you, you mentioned earlier, which you know was really powerful to me. That you you said you learned. And you honed your own path through your interaction with students. Because one of my questions here that, you know, is about who are your teachers? Who are the teachers that inspired your path? But it's so powerful to hear that 
In many ways, it was your interaction with students that has guided you and honed you in, attuned you to your own spiritual connection and given you the tools to be able to then share it with others. Would you say that's accurate? It's, it is accurate and, and really, and really well and sharply spoken. Yeah. Um, no question that I live a dialogic life in which uh, the interaction with, with others um, is what draws me out, um, brings, brings what I have into specific uh, vessel technique um, words that will speak to the, to the, to the one with whom I'm speaking. I'm so glad we're having a conversation, Noam, and not mm. I'm giving a lecture. I don't yeah. like giving lectures. I like people in the room. I like seeing the glint in their eyes and I like the questions that they ask because, um, and the contributions that they make. Um, the, uh, yeah, the life of a teacher, at least of this teacher is dialogic. It's um, it's a statement in the rabbis, you know, tell me die, kulam. I learn more than from anyone from from my students, and it's and it's really like that. And it is, yes, it is like that with me. It is indeed. Mm. I mean, obviously, there's a um, a uh, a sort of um, an irony in that statement because uh, those great teachers who said it were clearly aware also that what is happening is that the student is drawing resources out of the teacher in a way which that they would not be drawn up were it not for the particular way in that person is listening and the particular need that that person has. And that's definitely, I, and from my experience, that's the prime experience I have. There is, of course, also the experience of listening to people and hearing what they bring and teach. Um, but those are generally, and for me, in the setting of teacher-student, um, but with uh, where I'm listening to a teacher, but where I'm the teacher, there's like a, I'm just it's so beautiful and it's so marvelously, in a sense, you know, so to speak, modeled after the way Hakadosh Baruch Hu lives with us. You know, by which I mean, we we live a very dynamic relationship with with God, and and God is very dynamic in His interaction with us, dynamic to the point that. Um, he acts differently, lives differently, creates a different ambience, so to speak, um, depending upon what we're saying to him, how we're calling him, what name we're using, what we're calling forth. Very dialogic. Um, and uh, yeah, even offers teachings that wouldn't have come through if it wouldn't have been that we were listening in the particular way we do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you picked that up correctly. Definitely. Yeah. It's been like that. So... And with that being said, though, were there <laughs> were there particular uh, teachers? So you mentioned, obviously, you know that 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 glimpse of the Lubavitcher Rebbe who inspired you and so many others. And you mentioned some of the other teachers that have come across. But in in terms of honing a meditative practice, were there particular teachers of people you came across, or even maybe texts, uh, teachings? From not necessarily contemporary sense, but but more uh, you know within our ancient history, that have mm -hmm. spoken to it and guided you specifically. Hmm. And <clears throat> I can say I can say yes to the texts, um, yes to 
chaverim, to, to friends, to like uh, peers, colleagues. Um, and I cannot say yes to um, the, uh, the uh, receiving from an accomplished teacher in the realm of meditation. I had teachers of Kabbalah, um, but that was on a less meditative orientation and more on a um, on one of understanding or of, um, so in a sense, mechanical practice. But the kind of meditation that I think we're both talking about now, um, no, I like uh, kind of work through it um, along with wonderful chaverim and chavrutot work through it. Um, texts. Yeah, there's some amazing texts in um, the Talmud of um, the Ramban, Rabbi Yitzchak Demin Akko, Rabbi Yitzchak from Akko, very early Kabbalist who has various practices which he shares in his book called Mi'irat Enaim. I remember coming across those and like really being, wow, I'm doing this and <laughs> doing it. Um, there's um, a wealth of meditative content in Chabad, in Netanya and Likutei Torah, a different kind of meditation than I think what people usually mean when they talk about meditation. There it's more, um, in a way, uh, inwardly verbal, as opposed to um, using images or one single word or a sound or silence. There it's more active mind rather than quieting mind. But nevertheless, that's there. Um, yeah, um, you know, like uh, texts like the, the Rambam, you know, just writing a thing like on a Mishnah in Brachot saying that the first Hasidim would sit an hour uh, so their minds would be quieted. Um, okay, let's do that. Let's find out how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've you've actually shared with us a beautiful teaching on that and a meditation that teaches us to do exactly that. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. That's what I sent you. Amazing. Yeah, Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a great starting point, but it is not, it is not the end point. It's a right. starting point. And I do want to say that, um, you know, to the people who are listening and to you, Rav Noam, you know, as, and you know it so well, meditation is not a panacea. Meditation is not a, um, a standalone meditation, especially in Jewish teaching is embedded in a whole um, vision of what one's life looks like, both in terms of how one behaves, how one treats other people, how one uh, lives out the challenges that are the inner emotional challenges which he, which each he and she has, um, how one comes to love, how one comes to uh, raise a family, and uh, how one comes to pray. All these are the milieu and the ambience within which uh, Jewish meditation exists. It's not a standalone. And um, that's something which has become very important to me uh, with, with my teaching. It's, it's really, it is wonderful. It really is wonderful to quiet, to, to cleanse, to open that inner space. And it is so um, crucial in uh, guide, guided God work, you know. Um, uh, but, uh, there, it's a piece in a, um, in a complex of various elements, which are crucial for all of our, uh, spiritual development. 
but I'm really, really happy and I'm really thrilled that we've had this time to talk about this particular piece of it, you know, which is which is meditation and its various forms. We could talk about that also, yeah. but that's an important important recognition for people to have. I think that's like, yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, that's an essential an essential point of this whole thing and of of what our our tradition is about. That it's not you don't have meditation on the side. It's all within the same movement within ourselves in relationship with other human beings and obviously moving us towards Hashem. It's all one in the same in a sense. It's a powerful tool, but it is not the only thing. I mean, you said it much better than I did, but I think that's it. And that's what we're trying to get to by creating this, I mean, in terms of this particular podcast, but in general, creating resources that allow people to be more deeply in relationship with themselves, with other human beings and with Akadosh Baruch Hu. Meditation is a tool but as you said, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, this, yes, a lot, a lot more to be to be said on that. I want to just take a moment. I want to take a moment uh, to touch upon music. And I know, you know, I don't know how much how much time you have, and I'm I'm so so grateful for the the, the beautiful moments that you have shared with us right now. Uh, but I want to talk about the role of music in Avodat Hashem, in the service of Hashem, you know, because as I spent time in Batayin and we had many opportunities to sing together and, you know, and you play the clarinet and sing beautifully. And and I want, I was wondering what, how you saw music, what does it do in terms of our relate, fostering a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Yeah. Wow, that's such a big topic, you know? Mm. Maybe I'll maybe I'll just make to make it pointed by t- speaking personally. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's like um, all along the way in my life, music has has been there. Thank God, um, my mother was really, um, really devoted and dedicated to my having an opportunity to become a musician. Uh, amazing thing, really an amazing thing. From when I was eight years old, I've been playing clarinet with private lessons, with practicing like crazy, with being in all kinds of bands and orchestras and jazz groups and then making money playing at weddings and all kinds of stuff that that that's really embedded in, um, in my life. Um, but it didn't really, I would say, become a sort of spiritual or oriented around this this type of divine work. I think playing at a wedding is definitely oriented around divine work, but in a different way, playing klezmer. But using tones and and melody to um, arouse uh, different states, um, different openings in one's heart and one's soul access. And um, of course, there's a deep um, reverence for music in... um, in our tradition, in Torah, and in the Tanakh, and all the music that's throughout the Book of Psalms, and the prophets who play music and are prophesying by virtue of it, and the Talmud has tremendous um, uh, teachings about how music brings joy, and that joy brings Shechina, brings the divine presence. Um, so yeah, that that became very um, important to me. And actually, um, as rabbi, I, I would meet people as they would come to become members in Badayan or to come to settle in Badayan. And at the beginning, you know, I'd interview everyone who came and 
I had actually dropped music for a while, you know, because it didn't really fit for me to be both rabbi and playing my clarinet and saxophone. And one of the people who came to apply, I walked into the room and I just started hearing like harmonies. And um, turned out he's like a super guitar player, like really um, amazing guitar player, um, Yitzhak Amit. And I just said like, you know, I've never really found someone to accompany me and to like build something with. And we set out and created these evenings, um, which uh, uh, before COVID was every month, uh, about 100, 150 people. Sometimes we'd go up to 250 or 300 people coming for these evenings with him, guitar, me, clarinet, a bass player, percussion, um, and um, just like uh, bringing people, moving people through music um, uh, into... Sometimes ecstasy, sometimes just a creative connection in prayer, sometimes uh, a quieting meditation. I have some stuff up on YouTube. Um, you might have to type it in Hebrew, but we could send that link later. Yeah, if you, I'll put those links. We'll just put the links. They can click right on it. I'm sure people would love cool. to connect to that. Yeah. So, like, so that started happening. Then I, we produced an album together, really beautiful album of um, spiritual music of uh, clarinet and and uh and the guitar and um yeah and all my all my uh, work with meditation always involves me playing my clarinet in some fashion or another and at these retreats it's just an incredible bypass of thinking into the heart and um and all that that implies the heart is really just uh you know a word we give to those inner shifts and states um, yeah, so one of the, actually, I think on both of the meditations I sent you, I use music. Um, yeah, some beautiful musical accompaniment on them. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Yeah. So, so maybe if we could maybe take a moment to just describe what, what we'll hear, what will people, um, just very briefly, what those two okay. meditations are, are designed to, to bring a person towards. Cool. Great. So, so one of them, which is, I think 30 minutes is uh, a kind of an explanation, a little bit of an explanation of a particular meditative technique, which is relatively universal uh, among meditations in the world, uh, using breath and, and silence. Um, the unique, I think, Jewish orientation, it's also in other traditions, is that it's leading towards prayer. But in the particular meditation which I offer there, it's, it's helping people move into that space of quiet and um, and uh, what I what is called in the in the uh, Mishnah in the early Jewish sources makom, which means space, spaciousness, place. It's also a name for God, place, the place of the world. And so, in that meditation, I give a little bit of the information background and guide people in, and then leave a lot of silence, which um, you can sort of grow into. And then uh, play uh, uh, an original musical uh, composition there during the course of it. So that is one of them. That's called shihiya, or um, pausing, pausing, abiding. And the other meditation, hine um, makomiti, there is a place with me, is actually a verse that God speaks to Moses, Moshe, um, saying to him, there's a place with me. And um, I am that place that holds you. 
right before Moshe is given one of the greatest revelations that he had and that whoever was in the world. And um, so there we use all kinds of all kinds of musical techniques. On the first recording, things are much simpler musically. Here it became actually quite complex musically. Um, and I hope it, it's an, an experiment of mine to like use something which is like more like striking to shift people and to voice over onto that a guided meditation. That's the six minute one uh, called Hine Makomiti. Um, yeah, so that that one is actually part of a whole package that I'm developing in Bezerat Hashem by Chanukah will have out of a book, which is gonna, you know, I'm really excited about. It's a book that guides people using the Sidur as a meditative manual hmm. and the different stages that we're invited into during the course of that. So that's currently being edited and will be out to Bezrat Hashem in a couple of months. And my dream is that it be accompanied by these recordings and meditations so that wow. Wow. when you finish reading the chapter, listen. Hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. That's that on its way. Beautiful. And any, any chance of that being uh, done in English? Is it, it's a, right now, I assume it's, it's a I'm doing it in English. Incredibly oh, in English. Wow. Yeah. Wow, beautiful. I've, I've had some really wonderful, wonderful people sponsoring wow. and an amazing thing happening, which was happening on Instagram, which will now be on other platforms. That's called Sitter Alive, which I do with uh, a, an amazing singer, Ellie Schwabel, mm. um, who's also a Talmud and um, have interactions um, online uh, that, uh, yeah, we have hundreds of people listening in and actually thousands wow. at this point. And wow. yeah, so, so thank God through that, uh, I got sponsors for this and it's going to happen. That's, really, that's, <laughs> that's, that's so exciting. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Yeah, we look forward to, to to hearing it and benefiting from it. And I'll, once again, I'll put all the information of where you can find okay. this out and go on Instagram down below for people to be able to connect to it. Uh, just to just to wrap up, I wanted to, to ask you one final question. And that is, let's say you have someone who's listening to this podcast and they want to get started. They're a beginner. They, they haven't really meditated. Maybe they've tried some of the meditations I've provided already. Maybe not. What's your advice for someone who wants to, to begin the path of meditation? What, what would you say to somebody who, who wants to start this path? Well, like I said, I'm dialogic. I mm. really need to see the person. Yeah. So let me give some options. You know, like there's some people who I sit with and I say, you know, you know, you, you need to like just to just to listen to this music, just to like focus yourself and let it suffuse you with the presence of its sounds and get used to that happening. That kind of uh, a shift for a person can be very meaningful as a beginning to having that sort of attention or what's called in Hebrew to sumet lev, which is the ability to place their heart into something. Another person I might say, you know, when you're walking to synagogue, when you're walking to synagogue, so you um, take time to look and see the trees, to feel the wind, to notice your thoughts and let them just pass as you return your attention to the steps 
the rabbis have a phrase. They say that much of the reward for going to, sh- to shul, for going to synagogue, is the walks, the walking, sharpsiot, the <laughs> the reward of the walking, which I truly believe they're not just talking about how distant it is, but how much you pay attention to your steps as you walk on the way. To another person, I might say, listen to that first meditation, you know, that that you're going to share with people. And but you know, set a timer for yourself that when we go into the silence, that the timer gives a ding after 10 minutes so that you don't overdo it for yourself. It's a bit long for a beginner to sit more than five or 10 minutes and follow those instructions. Um, Yeah, it might be someone whose relationship with one of his children needs uh, a new kind of attention, uh, loving attention, and let him train himself to access his heart um, by eliciting love for someone who's close to him. Um, so many, so many openings into this world. I just led a group yesterday in a meditation uh, that is intended to elicit uh, rachamim, which is compassion, but compassion not in the sense that's usually meant, but calm passion of like, of a joined passion for something, um, which is relevant to the particular month we're in right now, Elul. But um, as like I said, Noam, you know, for my students more than anyone, I need to look at the person and then um, give an opening. But here's here have been a few options, yeah. Mm, I love that answer, that's... Um... That's so, it's so real, you know, it's, it's nothing, we're, we're all different and we have to tune into each of us and our own path is different. And and so I thank you for your wisdom and th- I thank you, Rav Daniel, for sharing so much of your time and your wisdom with us now. And it's such a pleasure for me to, to hear your voice once again. And I look, very much look forward to the opportunity to come and sit down with you in Eretz Israel one time very, very soon. Uh, unfortunately, our borders are closed. Israel's border, it's a very complex time, but you know, the world needs this sort of, you know, this, in a sense, a revolution of, of Jewish spirituality, of, of people being real and honest and truthful. And, and, and we, we, we need the wisdom that you are sharing with us. Uh, at a time like this more than ever. And so I thank you for for taking this time. And as as I would like to do, and as I will do, I want to finish off each interview with a, a bracha. And so I want to share a bracha with you that your your light, your wisdom, your sensitivity, your kindness continues to, to find the right hearts uh, that to enter into dialogue with and to guide people, individuals and communities to a deeper sense of themselves and their responsibility towards others and their love towards others and a deeper connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. I've gained so much. Amen, amen, amen. Let me say amen. What do you think I'm doing? Sitting here with my palms open. I've gained so much from you, Rav Daniel, and I'm so grateful. So much hakarat hatov, and and you've given us so much as well in this this last hour. So thank you so much, and I look forward to connecting very, very soon. And we'll give opportunities down below for other people to be able to connect to you and, 
and seek out your wisdom in its various forms. So thank you so much. And Shana Tova as well. Shana Tova. Shana Tova and Shalom to you and Shalom to everyone. And thank you so much for making this possible. Amen. Thank you, Koltuv. And thank you all so much for listening. And please stay tuned for the meditations that will begin in just a few moments.
as their hearts attuned to Macomb. Macomb, which holds. Macomb, which supports. Macomb, the Holy One. The purpose of this recording is to give you guidance in a very particular practice as a preparation for prayer and for connection with God that is described in the Mishnah in the context of the Hasidim Rishonim, who were early devotees to God, who had a practice of a silent pause, Shohim Sha'achat. They would pause silently for a full hour before they would begin to pray. So Maimonides, the Rambam, describes that they would do this in order for their minds to become quieted of thought, so that their hearts would become simply present to the makom. Now, the word makom 
is actually one which has a double meaning in our language. Makom means both the physical place where one is and also the entire context for reality. That context for reality being Hashem Yidbarach, being God himself, who maintains all of space. The rabbis call him Mekomo Shel Olam, so that these Hasidim Rishonim would sit for a full hour in silence until their minds would be quieted so that they could be aligned with the place, both the physical place where they sit and he who maintains that place. This was a practice of preparation for prayer so that as they would quiet, they would become aligned so that the prayer of their heart would be aroused and they would truly speak those prayers in a connected way. So what I'm going to guide you through now is that very simple practice of shihiya in a particular fashion. We're going to use our breath as an anchor that will allow us to always return to our breath in a way that our minds, as we notice thoughts in them, will be able to be quieted more and more as we sit. Now, there's no success or failure in this. There's only simply noticing your thoughts as they come and letting go of them so that over time and with practice, you become more and more able to align yourself with the makom. So now sit straight in a chair with your back straight and your head up comfortably in a relaxed fashion as we prepare for the shihiyah. As you align yourself with this place, so simply notice your body on the chair. Just notice yourself sitting. That kind of gentle movement is called in Hebrew tesumet lev, placing the attentiveness of your heart on what is now. You can notice your feet on the floor and how that floor supports you in the place where you are. We're going to be going through a process in which I'm going to guide you through relaxation. And then I'll instruct you to simply pay attention to your breath as you let go of your thoughts and continually simply return to your breath. And at the end, I'll play a nigun, which will further inspire you, Bezrat Hashem, with God's help, towards prayer. So now we'll begin by taking three deep breaths. These three deep breaths are actually parallel to our three avot, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. The first breath, is a breath of letting go into the vast expanse of God's creation, into the unity of that. The second breath is the breath of Yitzchak, a breath which simply brings us into our own unique selfhood 
And then the third breath is being in place, that of Yaakov. So deep breath, letting go of all tension. Second deep breath, coming to be. And the third breath, being in this place. The main practice is simply as the word itself describes, pausing. And the very sound of the word is itself helpful in moving into the condition that it describes. You might try saying that. The shin of the shtika, the quieting, the hay of the breath, and the ah of the expansiveness and connection to Hashem Yitbarach, to God's greatness and awesome presence. So now as you sit straight and comfortably, simply notice your shoulders as we move into a graduated relaxation guide you through. Just let your shoulders relax and allow that relaxation to spread down through your back. Down into your thighs. To your calves. And down into your feet as you just let go of any tension there and allow them to relax. All the way down into your toes. And now you might let out, you might allow that relaxation to deepen, move back into your feet up into your calves. Relaxing more deeply in your thighs. And up into your stomach.
And there, just spend a few moments as you notice your stomach rising and falling as the breath fills it and leaves it. Just simply noticing it going up and down. Now move up into your chest. You can relax there. And up into your shoulders. Simply letting go. Now allowing your neck to relax. Even though it's staying straight, but you can actually help yourself by imagining you're being held from above by a beautiful cord that's connecting you beyond as you're held straight. Now allow the relaxation to move into your head. Down into your forehead, just letting go there. Your eyes and around your eyes. Your nose and around your mouth. Now allow that relaxation to spread into your jaw and inside your head to your mind. And as you sit here in your shihiya, simply notice your breath as it comes in and out. Not changing it, just noticing it, allowing it to anchor you as thoughts come into your mind and letting go of those thoughts as you notice them and return to your breath. And this is all in this basic practice of Shihiya. Simply return to your breath. Notice it as it comes in and out. Until your mind gradually, as Maimonides describes it in his interpretation of this Mishnah, your mind gradually becomes quieted from thoughts so that you can simply be aligned with the makom. Makom.
And I'll leave you here in silence as you simply watch your breath for a few minutes of Shia.
If you've noticed thoughts coming, that's fine. Just notice, let go, and return to your breath. Simply noticing it as it comes in and goes out.
And now as we complete our shihiya, return to noticing your breath as it moves your stomach up and down. Notice yourself on the chair, the weight of your body being supported by it. Might begin with moving your hands, your fingers, your arms. When it feels comfortable, you begin to open your eyes. Feeling energized, happy with the thought that Hashemit Barach is with you at every moment in every place. Let that thought accompany you into your tefillah, into your praying. Shalom. Oh, world's gone dark, let's all give up. I'm not strong enough to light up this darkness. Thank you for listening to the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. The theme music is the song Breathe by Fetter Hendel. And remember, don't forget to breathe. It's lost its feet, calls for strength and guidance. And I say, I say to you, don't forget to breathe. And I say,